Ladies and gentlemen, players of all ages, this is the Old Players Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Tau, Big O, Big TC. What's happening? Checking in right now. Um, I just made a promise, if you just heard the last episode, that I was going to be more consistent in creating content, even when I don't have anyone to present to you. And I do not have anyone to present to you today. But as I said, I'm going to record something every day and figure out if I want to put it out or not. And you can be the judges if you want to hear it or not. You'll be the judges of that. It's not my place. It's my place to create. And whatever happens once it gets to the receiving end is not for me to decide. So I appreciate everyone that's been supporting the program. Uh, Yesterday's episode is already starting to get some listens. And so it's proof of my whole point is that if I keep them coming out, then someone will check them out. And if it's meant to be, then the audience will grow. So uh, today um, I was going to share something. Uh, if you listen to me with the last episode, which they'll probably, this one will probably come out uh, about six days behind that one. But um, I'm actually recording uh, the, the day after. So if you heard the last episode This episode was recorded the following day. And um, so I mentioned an app that I've been using, a social audio platform I've been using. And I was on there today listening to what some different people had to present. And I took part in a couple of discussions that people had and uh, walked away from it and digested it a bit because I had some stuff to do. And then I was inspired to do uh, host a talk of my own on there. And I went and opened up the room, and nobody came in the room. I kept the room open um, without speaking because you can see that no one's in the, ever been into the room. You don't know if they stay or not, but it counts everyone that enters the room. So if you have a zero, then no one ever came into the room. And so my practice is I don't begin to speak until someone comes into the room. And so I waited. Uh, what felt like about 10 minutes, which in reality was probably about a minute and a half and uh, maybe less. And no one came into the room. And it occurred to me that, you know what, I do not want to host a live if no one's in the room. However, I do have a podcast with an audience that I just made a promise to that I would create content. So here I am sitting here, dolo, just me, uh, Talking my ish. And so uh the the what I wanted to present for that talk, and I will host that talk later or tomorrow or something like that, and that is who is in your treasury department? Who is in your treasury department? Um you probably say, Hey man, what are you talking about? Like I'm not a lodge. I'm not a government. Um, in a lot of cases, for many of us, you may not even be a business or a business owner. So what do I mean? Who's in your treasury department? What I mean by who's in your treasury department is among the people around you, the people who are active in your life. Is there someone or some group of people that you would be comfortable with taking custody of your valuables. What do I mean when I say your valuables? I mean just that. 
It may be material. It may be spiritual. When I say your valuables, whatever it is that you place value on, it can be an idea. It can be a physical thing. But that which you hold dear, that which you place value on, who or whom, what person, what group, what agency would you want uh, right now if you had to have medical procedure, if you had to uh, leave town on an emergency, who would you want to control your resources? Who would you want to take custody of your valuables in your absence? Who would you be comfortable with making decisions in your stead if for some reason or another you were incapable of doing so? Who is that person or who are those people? Or do you have such a person? And I bring this up, and the reason I wanted to bring it up on the chat is because I wanted to hear what other people thought. But just for me personally, um, I'm coming to uh, that certain age where uh, you've you've witnessed enough death that your own mortality becomes an inevitable thing. That, uh, you know, when you're a young man, you, you might literally see people dying all around you and never have your own mortality occur to you at all. When you're a young person, uh, you, you have more, uh, more invincible spirit about yourself that uh, whatever it is that can harm you, you will heal from it and, and go on to uh, do it all again. Uh, the more you age, at least for me, I can't say for everyone, the older I get, the more I realize how blessed I am to still be here, the more I realize how many times in my recollection I could have easily not been here. And that could apply to anything and anyone who looks at their life, you probably could identify a moment or moments, multiple moments for some of us, in some way or another, if it had been due to health or natural disaster or just timing, uh, that split-second decision, that uh, instinct that made you zig when you should have zagged, whatever that thing is that you've overcome or that you encountered or avoided, uh, better still, that could have been your demise and you're still here. And you have enough of those experiences while aging and watching people perish around you that you realize, hey, all I have is today. And uh, I, I found that as I age, I, I'm, I'm growing into something that I once grew out of, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is uh, anxiety. I was going to say anxiousness. Uh, the, the term would be anxiety, that uh, I remember being an anxious kid that uh, while I didn't have much to worry about, I was always on a heightened sense of awareness and sort of worried about what was coming next, but with excitement. And as I grew 
I, I became more settled in, in my reality, I guess. <clears throat> and that sort of left me. And so as a teenager and, and becoming a young man, that, that sort of uh, exited my spirit. And then I find that now as I'm in that place in life where uh, you recognize your aging, but you're in the place where, uh, you know, I guess um, I wouldn't say that that's what I'm experiencing, but uh, you hear of people talk of midlife crisis. Uh, you hear of people talk of second childhood. Well, I'm not in the place of a child yet, but I think I'm progressing toward that. Um, if you If you pay attention to our elders, like our very elderly elders, a, a lot of them... Uh, by choice or by force, sort of take to the role that a child does. And so as we age, we're aging to a certain peak, and then we decline back sort of into the state where ultimately we'll exit the way we came in, being cared for by someone else. And uh, so I'm at that stage of life uh, as a middle-aged man that... I recognize and acknowledge that I'm aging and that my youth by and large has left my spirit and left my body. But, but different than I think the generation before me, I choose to enjoy to the fullest the youth that is left. There isn't much of it, but there's some left. And I think it's just a generational thing. I, I was joking, um, if any of you uh, heard the last episode, and by the time this one comes out, um, it it will have uh, not yet taken place, but I will be actually... I will have arrived in town and be gearing toward that celebration. But uh, my grandbaby's first birthday party is coming up. And uh, I was joking with her grandmother and saying that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to enjoying this. I don't really like kid birthday parties. So let me put that note in. A lot of people might know that about me. Uh, I've worked with youth a lot. And so... I'm not able to enjoy a setting with large amounts of children moving about. My brain will be wired to count heads and watch perimeters and uh, shield outsiders off. And and so it's something that I can't really enjoy. I, obviously, when I was raising my boys, I was at every birthday party that they had because I was hosting the party. And, uh, you know, at times with cousins and nieces and nephews, I might make an appearance because I had kids and I would be there to bring my kids to the party. But by and large, I avoid kid birthday parties. But I'm so looking forward to this one because it's my grandkid. But I was pointing out that uh, while I have no shame or, or discomfort with aging, um, I'm showing up uh, in the example of grandparents didn't look like that when I was a kid. 
And my wife kind of chuckled when I said that. And I'm like, no, seriously, like, you know, both my grandfathers were deceased when I was a kid. But I'm old enough that I have vivid memories of my grandmothers when they were the age I am now. Both my grandmothers and both my grandmothers are beautiful. But I remember when they were the age I am now. And everything in their conduct, everything in their spirit, everything in their presentation was a lot older than myself and even my my wife. It's it was a it was a time where uh, a fifty year old, for example, we're almost fifty. We're not far from fifty, I guess. Uh, at that time, a 50-year-old started accepting the role of an elder, a sort of senior citizen kind of existence, even though at that age, unless you did something very well for yourself, you're still working every day, you're still living the life that you lived as a young adult, just with more responsibility and less energy. But I look at the 50-year-old's that I went to school with, these are, at this point, uh, today's 50-year-old was an 11th grader when I was a 9th grader in high school. These, these are my peers. And we're a different generation. When I see my schoolmates, I don't see my grandparents from childhood. When I look at myself, when I look at my wife, I don't see my grandparents from childhood. But I do recognize that I'm now at the age where a generation ago in the community, I would have been viewed as an old man. And so even uh, for those of us that are still a little active on the social scene uh, or that still mingle a little bit with the younger crowd, as I tend to do, uh, depending on what town I'm in, you wonder why people that you share a lot of commonality with and common interests and enjoy each other's uh, conversation and everything, but you can tell you're sort of looked at as something different. Well, you are looked at as something different because you're old now in the eyes of this young crowd, even though you might be an accepted and even uh, an appropriate member of their circle, you're still the old guy. You're still the age of their uncle, their father, and, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, it, it it doesn't feel like it to us, but we don't see ourselves the way we saw our grandparents. And why am I talking about all of this? Well, back to the original point. Who's your treasury department? Um. As I'm aging, I think a lot about my mortality. I think a lot about uh, terms that don't occur to you when you're a youngster, like legacy, um, impact, influence. And uh, estate. And I find myself thinking, well, What do I really have that I need to worry about where it goes? When I leave, whatever stuff I have is my stuff. 
whoever my loved ones are that's left to clean up my stuff or make a decision what they want to do with my stuff. And someone drop me off in a hole or kick me off a plane at 20,000 feet and see where I land. Whatever you want to do with my remains, I do have uh, intentions for what I want in terms of services or not so much services, but uh, my remains and the people who need to know are aware of that. But I haven't, I've never really thought about it that I could go today and decisions would have to be made. Um, and how does this tie together? Well, I find that, or let me, let me not say I find. It's my opinion. Forgive me, let me blow this candle out. I know every time I get on the, on the mic or do a talk, I got to stop and blow out a candle, but I like to burn the candles, but after a certain amount of time, it starts to irritate me. So, it's my opinion that we often make certain decisions based on emotion or sense of commitment instead of approaching things the way we would in business. Okay, what do I mean? I'm going to take a quick break so I can drink some water and then I'll let you guys know exactly what it is I mean. So, I had to take a little break. Maybe I put a commercial in between there. I don't know. Um, So, yeah. The reason I pose this is because if there is someone or group of people who you rely on, if there is someone or group of people who you are comfortable with their decision-making, if there is someone or group of people who have worked closely at your side in whatever your life's work or passion may have been, um, if there's someone or group of people who have shared residence and lived with you, um, then we need to identify who among our village play what roles. Because emotion uh, is a funny thing, and it can sometimes cloud judgment. It can sometimes uh, divide our our very spirit Um, because we are forcing ourselves to take feelings into account, our own feelings, the feelings of others as opposed to approaching something from an objective standpoint, meaning what is it that I would like the result to be? What do I want to see happen here? And um, if there's someone who you find that you are comfortable with or can depend on, if there's a person that you know has been up close and personal and who's had the opportunity to violate 
and has never shown any sign of that being in their spirit, has never given you any reason to question uh, their their purpose or their intention. Um, that person that if you have to leave town, but your animals need care, your plants need care, that you have no problem dropping off a key without going through the whole, don't touch this, don't do that, let me lock everything up, let me hide everything. Yes, privacy is privacy. There, We want our privacy even from the person who we have the utmost confidence in. But if there's that person that we count on to get things done, that we're comfortable sharing our space with, then that's probably a person who plays some role in our treasury department. And when we make certain decisions, uh, for example, a family business, family businesses, it's a sad reality that I've seen over and over with some of the uh, landmark, uh, would-be landmark businesses in the community where I grew up, is that you have someone or group of people who start up a business. They put everything, they put their heart and soul into getting the business off the ground and allowing it to thrive to where they're now able to create employment opportunities. And in creating those employment opportunities, people are able to join and be a part of something from its earliest stages, almost from inception. And they take a personal investment in it and they're groomed and they work and they learn it as it's growing. So they know it front and back to the point where now the boss or proprietor doesn't have to be in there the whole time all day. They don't have to show up at all. If they need to take a vacation, they have capable staff that can continue running the the vision, the business in alignment with their vision without worry. And then who else do you have? You also have uh, perhaps the children, the son or daughter of the proprietor. Who comes in and helps out every blue moon when they don't have something better to do? Who might spend their time working in the summers to earn whatever it is, the new outfits for the next school year or whatever? But by and large, they have no interest in this place outside of that they're able to live a good life that's provided from the proceeds of this place. And thus their investment in this place is what I take away from it never what I invest into it. Where are you going with this, ooh? Well, what have we seen happen when these proprietors retire or, or God bless their soul, should they pass away? The business then falls in the hand of the kid, the heir to the company, heir to the business, the rightful heir who has never had to run the day-to-day operation in a lot of cases. And this isn't a a blanket thing that applies to everyone. So if if there's someone listening who has maintained and continued their family legacy and kept the business going, I'm not talking to you. I'm I'm talking to you, but I'm not talking about you. Uh, You would be a better example 
your family would be a better example. But we leave it to this kid whose whole life, their attachment to this business is what I can take away from it. When this kid gets in their hands, what likely happens? First thing they do is that capable staff, some of the first people to go. Because I'm the boss. And y'all not going to tell me how to run my shop. I don't know what y'all did with my mom and them. But meanwhile, these are the people who did the job every day for your mother or father that, that allowed the business to thrive and provide you this good life. But they're out of here quick. They're going to be the first ones to go. So now the quality of the service, the quality of the product, especially if it's something like a restaurant, now that immediately suffers. The originator's gone, and now the understudies are gone. Okay, second problem. I might have never known that Pops or Moms was sometimes taking a pay cut in order to pay the staff and keep the bills paid at the establishment. And sometimes they didn't bother paying themselves a check at all if there was no bills due at home because they put their money right back into the business to keep it thriving, keep serving their customers, keep their employees thriving. And still walked away, you know, able to put some savings to the side, savings to the side here and there and pay the bills to maintain a a comfortable life. But then they leave. First thing y'all about to do is run through the savings. Savings gone. That's all we got. I thought we was rich. This little money. Okay. Well, we got to get some more money out of this store. How we going to do that? Well, we don't need all these people working. I'm saying Pops and them was tripping, paying all these people. You see what I'm saying? I'm going somewhere with this. And then we see these businesses that we spend our life, some of us grew up doing business with these families and going to these stores and going to these restaurants to the point where ultimately it's not what it used to be. It sucks. The prices are higher. The service is worse. The the quality is lower. And we're not going to go give these people our money anymore. The, The lady that we love so much, that's the reason we always were loyal, is gone. We're out of here. And then ultimately the business either gets sold or it just falters and and fizzes out and goes away. And who it was left with dries up everything and then goes to a bitter life of trying to figure out what to do now. And uh, God bless them. But how simple would it have been if in in a person's uh, full capacity when they were at their best, when they were thriving, when they were healthy, when they were alive and well, identifying that my business is able to function as it does because of the input of these individuals. And so I need to put measures in place right now that if I'm ever incapable or should I pass away, I need my business in these hands. Imagine if Instead of leaving the business to your kid, and I don't knock leaving things to your children. That's what we work for. That's what we build. As parents, everything we do is done with the motivation of 
a life for our future, our children, our grandchildren. So I'm not saying it's a bad idea. What I'm saying is simply, if the idea is I'm building this to hand over, there's a couple of key components. One is, is that your dream for your life? Because part of the problem is it's never been the kid's dream to run this store or run this restaurant. But we just planned on handing it over to them. And now at the same time, while they're processing the loss of their loved one, they're being thrust into this capacity that they didn't sign up for. So if, in fact, the idea is to pass the business on, I need to find out, do you want the business, first of all? And if you want the business from the earliest stage of your understanding, some part of your time should be devoted to learning every facet of this business. And that's fine, but that's not what we do. We train our faithful employee. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. It might be a stranger that applied for a job and, and stuck around. But we, we teach our team. But when we want to retire, we put our kid in charge. Or when we pass away, our kid now I don't know if the recording stopped or not. There's someone attempting to call and recording on the phone right now. So I just paused for no reason, uh, seemingly. But in reality, I'm having technical difficulties. I told you I was going to crank it out no matter what I had to do and under whatever circumstances. So that's what that's what we're doing right now. I'm, I'm on here uh, getting random calls um, from somebody. And now I have to check and make sure my recording is still going, which it appears to be that it is. Yes. And so uh, the point I was making, if we want, if the intention is to leave the business to someone, then we need to groom them to take over the business. And it needs to start with identifying, is that something they desire for their life? Because if it's not what they want for their life, Uh, How often do we give our best effort to something that is not our choice? We usually don't. And in most scenarios where you could say that we did, there was some sense of desperation or fear that was fueling that effort. We don't just wake up wholeheartedly ready to go after something that we want no part of at all. Um, That's just not. Uh, most people, I can't say for everyone, but that's just not most people. And so we do that. And instead of identifying our treasury department, when everything's well, when we're doing well, when we're healthy, when the business is doing well and making those provisions, we just live our life and decide that we're retiring or God forbid we pass away and it falls where it falls. But Imagine this. Imagine if I make the necessary steps and put the necessary thing, things in writing that I leave my business to the people who know how to run my business. And I leave a percentage of my business as a shareholder, if you would, to my kid 
or whoever it is, my children, that you always will have a job and a modest check as long as this business continues. So therefore, if you aren't able to contribute labor that helps to forward the cause, your takeaway will be minimal or even your right to takeaway will be minimal. You won't have a big enough stake in the overall company to do harm to the business. We'll give you a little small percentage point and guess what? Out of every $100 we get, $2 is yours. So if you want to come here and work, you can also earn a wage to go along with that $2 you're going to get off of every $100 of profit. Because remember in business, most of the money goes back into the business. But of the profit, 2% of it is yours if you work or not. That's just an example. And I'm no uh, expert in, in, in planning, uh, estate planning, or uh, even business planning at all. I'm just uh, speaking from examples that I've witnessed and things that I'm thinking about. And also, you have to understand that what I pointed out earlier, what you place value on, those are your valuables. So don't look at it as uh, your socioeconomic status to say I'm a working class person, I'm a middle class person, uh, I'm a, a poverty stricken person, I'm this or whatever, and hey, I don't have to worry about all of that. That's rich people problems. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have anything to leave. So it is, no. Your knowledge. You know something. You know something that's valuable. You know something that could be useful in the world. Who would you share that game with? The person who you would share that game with, you need to share that game with them. And you need to share that game with them on an in-depth level so that if you're no longer here, they've reached a level of mastery of that information and they can then share it with someone else that might be able to make use of it as well. Intellectual property is as valuable as any tangible material item that you can think of, especially in today's society. Your thoughts, your ideas, and and your strategies are as valuable as precious metals in today's society. Why? Because there's a boundless supply of intellectual property, meaning someone can always have another or a new idea or figure out a way to expand or expound on an existing idea. Real estate, yeah, you can you can build up. You can make your structures taller and taller to house more occupants, but you can't add no ground to it. There's only so much of it. That's why they always tell people, get you some land, buy a home, buy some acres, buy get some kind of property, because they ain't gonna make no more. And uh, maybe some trivial uh, person. I'm a bit of a nerd. It's hard to tell because, you know, I'm one of those guys. You know what I mean? So you don't really see the resemblance of me and other nerds. But I'm a nerd. You know, I am. And so I know some uh, smart aleck 
which suggests what about lava formations? And what am I talking about when I say what about lava formations? Well, um, geographically, new land masses are formed when uh, various seismic activity, uh, volcano, volcano activity, uh, earthquake, different things, and they shift, shift the earth and lava from volcanoes also uh, has a, a situation where it has to cool and, and form. It takes formation. There's this smoldering hot stuff that at some point is going to cool down and petrify in place. And so new islands get formed all the time. So in theory, you could say that they are making more land, but those uh, masses are not always inhabitable. And, and, And in some cases, they're not always large enough to inhabit. And in some cases, it just takes a certain amount of time before it would even be safe to consider inhabiting. So that doesn't count. They're not making any more of it. But my point being, uh, intellectual property is has now become the, the endless amount of real estate. If you can come up with a good idea, then it's valuable and it can sell and resell. If you come up with another good idea, then same process. And so your ideas... If you've had, if you've been secretly working on an invention, you need to have those notes, that information. There, there has to be someone that you would be comfortable taking custody of this. If there's someone who's been sharing in a project with you, they should be the one to take custody of this. And same uh, with homes and things, sibling disputes. Uh, uh, first spouse who, who you were married to when the property was purchased versus second spouse who you were married to at the time of your demise and first spouse helped with the down payment this that or the other thing and was there for this amount of time and second spouse walked into a situation where this already existed and just benefited from finding love with someone who had all of these things that become disputes. Uh, siblings, do, do do we sell and divide? Uh, what Who takes what? Who gets what? Uh, and a lot of fallout happens behind this. Legal things sometimes, or sometimes relationships are damaged. But instead, a decision could be made when you're alive and well, when you're able-bodied and of sound mind to say, hey, hmm, This person is the person who has been been the closest to me and knows how to maintain the business of my home. Yeah, I love all my kids. Um, but this kid might be the kid that was around me all the time. But this kid might be the kid that took away my lessons and that's more capable of acting in my stead. And so, you know, provisions can be made 
ahead of time. And, and I don't want to make this a dark discussion. And that's why I want to talk about it more as we're alive and well. Um, who's that person that we're comfortable with right now? Who's that person that right now, if I just had to abruptly leave town on an emergency, but I needed someone to stay in my home uh, to let contractors in or to receive parcel or to care for plants and animals, as I pointed out earlier, who's the person that I'd be comfortable to just call and say, this is where the key is. And I wouldn't have to give it any more thought. And I'd be able to arrive home without the anxiety of how this person may have violated. Because chances are that might be the person who's best suited to continue with whatever my work is or whatever my legacy is or whatever my assets are at at the end of my time. Um, That can apply to money, family heirlooms, just making decisions based on what you know now instead of moving based in your emotion of who you love the most. It's not about who you love the most. If it's about something carrying on, if you know who you love the most, will lose it and it will be gone forever and into the hands of strangers. Whereas the person who you might not love as much will cherish and hold on and maintain, then that might be where your legacy is best served. And who you love the most can have the benefit of it being in hands that will keep it around forever. Even if they're a little bit bitter that it didn't come through their hands. But if it came through their hands, they'd be bitter anyway because of losing it. So, you know, that's something to think about. Who's in your treasury department? Who in life would you be comfortable with making financial decisions for you or taking custody of that which you value or the information that you hold dear or secret, who would you be comfortable with having this information and that they would do the right thing with this information? Who's in your treasury department? Who are you comfortable with protecting your treasure? Who would you be comfortable with protecting your treasure? And chances are, if there's someone or some group that you would be comfortable with protecting your treasure, then that's probably your treasury department and in, in, in your absence or at the time of your demise, then provision should be in place for your valuables to fall into the custody of your treasury department because they will do the right thing. By and large, they've been prepared to do the right thing in accordance to your vision. So what's wrong with me saying I, in my case, I have five sons. So if I have a property that one son has helped me work the property or helped me pay the bills for the property or has lived there with me on the property, but I got other sons, I love you all equally. But this one son is as much a part of this situation as I am. His life, his time, his memories, his work, his sweat equity is invested in this situation. If you can hold one moment, I'm finishing up a recording. And so if that's the case, then he's prepared 
to keep this place running and moving forward. He knows where to go to pay the utility bills. He knows where to go to get the garden supplies. He knows where to go to drop off the mortgage payment. He knows all of these things. This is who it would make sense to take custody of this home, of this property. Now, what about how everyone else would feel about that? Well, guess what? The same way I can stipulate that this person takes custody, I can also stipulate, but in the event of sale, this percent of proceeds should be entitled to the rest of the family. So I got five sons. In my real life example, I have five sons. So let's say if I left a property to one son, I'm leaving this for you to have and continue doing what we started. Well, if you decide you don't want to continue what we started, you just want to cash out. Okay. Well, 50% is for you. And the 12, 12 and a half percent, whatever the math would add up to. I don't feel like doing the math right now. I think it's about 12 and a half percent if I was going to divide another 50% between other four people. So 50% is yours. 12 and a half percent is to each of them. If you want to keep it, it's all yours. If you want to sell it and cash out, half of it is yours and the rest is for them to divide. These are all things you can plan for ahead of time and stipulate in writing and have notarized and filed and documented where it's admissible to be enforced by a judge. Because whatever you even put in writing, if it don't go in front of a judge, it really doesn't have no power. That's what people don't know about contracts uh, of any sort. Any documented thing, it does have weight. It's in writing. But If you don't enforce what's in writing, then it has no weight. So if I got you under a contract and and I say to you, you can't go and work with so-and-so, I got a contract. Guess what? You can still go work for so-and-so if they want to take a chance on you. Now, I then have the option to take action and try to sue. I might be able to sue you. I might be able to sue who you're working for. But... I have to go to a judge. I have to pay for attorney fees. I have to pay court fees. This piece of paper that I hold don't hold no power over you physically. It can't stop you from doing what you do. But I have the power to try and take action about it. Some people aren't going to even take the action. They, they want you to just be bullied by the piece of paper. But I'm no lawyer and I'm no professional when it comes to that. So I'm not going to start lecturing about that. What I'm talking about here is taking consideration to who you count on and for what and what roles people play in your life as you're alive, well, and of sound mind. And who you identify as these individuals are probably the individuals that you need to start making provisions to uh, leave things to or leave responsibilities to uh, to designate who will be the different officers to make decisions um, if you're incapacitated in any way or God forbid, at the time of your demise. Uh, 
So that's what I'm talking about a little bit. Who's in your treasury department? And um, I appreciate everybody. I'm going to work on uh, piecing this episode together and uh, give it a listen. I, I will be airing this on the podcast as I recorded the conversation. I will also take to the other app and have this talk again and get some feedback from some other people. And I may follow up with the part two to the podcast episode with some clips of what other people have to say about the subject. But uh, I wasn't going to hold off on this because the inspiration was now. And as I promised and as I was advised by my good friend, Energy Lady, if you just set aside about an hour every day, you that's enough time to create some content. And so we make it more of a task than it is by giving ourselves all the reasons that it's a challenge instead of identifying how simple it really all is. As I stated, I'm doing this on the phone. I didn't bother getting on the computer and plugging up mics and trying to set up the studio space for what I can jump on here and talk. And that's what I've taken away from the new app I've been using that I've shared. I'm not going to overdo it because I'll be considerate of my cross promotion efforts that I don't do too much promoting one platform on the other platform. So thank you all for listening. I am just an old player. This is my perspective and I appreciate all of you guys Sitting on here and listening to me kick my bobo. And that's all I have.